Thank you, Pastor Andrew. How is everyone today? Fantastic. All right, who was here last week? All right, cool, cool. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 16, where you were last week. If you were here last week, that little red ribbon might still be in there. And I was asked for part two, so we're just going to keep going. How's that? Very good? Fantastic. All right. If you run your fingers down there to verse 25, scroll however your app works. And before we read the word of God, we should pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for your grace and many mercies in this time together. We thank you for what you did on the cross for us, that you died in our place. Lord, at the divine exchange, you released your life and power into our lives, Lord God, and we give you this time. We pray, Holy Spirit, we recognize that this is your word. This is the oracles of God, and as we read your word, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate truth and speak to everybody here individually, right where they're at, and I pray, Lord, that you would help me to pass this truth on to declare your word in Jesus' wonderful, wonderful name. Now, this is the word of God, so unlike Star Wars, the next episode is going to be pretty good, right? Okay. I mean, when they called it The Last Jedi, that movie was so bad, I really thought that was The Last Jedi. But they just wanted to do it again, didn't they? Come on. I know who's in this. And all you Trekkies, get saved. Now, and only the real true nerds know what I'm talking about. All right. All right, here we go. So just a quick recap, okay. Acts chapter 16. This is during Paul's second uh, missionary trip, okay? And we're talking about 49 AD, okay? And we're in Philippi. Now, just before we get to Philippi, oh, sorry, when we get to Philippi, Paul's met uh, a woman called Lydia. And she's a a businesswoman, and she worships God. And Paul had the knowledge of God that she needed. And Paul led her to Christ. And Lydia, she opens her heart. She becomes a Christian. She opens her house... And that house becomes a Bible study, becomes a, a gathering of fellowship, becomes a church. And that church was actually the first church in Europe, right? Now, before they, that church took off, Paul and Silas went through some tough times. If you remember last week, the first church in Europe, his plans didn't really go the way he planned. He was actually planning to go to Asia until the Holy Spirit forbade him, blocked that plan. Then he had a vision of the Macedonian man calling him to to go to Macedonia. And he was obedient. And when he got there, he met some, um, there was no no synagogue. uh, So he went down by the river to pray. And he met a group of women who Lydia was one of them. And then this little demon-possessed girl starts following them around and tries their best to this fake affirmation to deceive them. And Paul has enough and casts the demon out. Suddenly, those who were using her for profit got all upset and started falsely accusing that they're causing trouble in the city and, and teaching them customs that are not uh, that are contrary to Caesar. And they got falsely accused. They got arrested. They got beaten up. And to the point where they were put into jail, they were beaten up, they were stripped naked, and they were stuck in jail with rods, it says. These dudes were going at them with sticks and then they put them in stocks. Okay, so just for a minute, where we, I just want to create the picture here, right? Where they're at. They're actually in a jail. They're on the ground. And they're naked, which is already kind of awkward. 
And they, these stocks were these like clamps that would go across their legs, right? And they would latch them down on this side and you couldn't get out of them. And the wood was actually clamped hard onto your shin bone, so you were in constant pain. Not only could you not move, but you're in constant pain. Not, not to mention all the wounds and your body's aching because you've been beaten up. And he's probably got like fat eyes and busted up lips. And I mean, I was there once. Didn't go well for me. And you kind of talk like this and you can't see out the thing. And it's, they're in there. They're, they're locked up. And there's dried blood on their face. And it's, it, that's what you talk like when you punch in the face, right? <laughs> I know. Um, and this is where we're at. This is where we're going to start. The man of God who's following the Lord's prompting, this is where he ends up. Verse 25. So before we go to verse 25, those of you who actually read your Bible, the, book of, uh, the letter of, to the Philippian church is believed to be written to the church that started from Lydia. Ten years later, it's grown into a, a large, influential, regional center for the Christians. And when he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. See, that verse comes to life. When you see the history it's loaded with. You know, Paul's saying that to a church that was literally beaten, jailed, and tortured for. Like, when you read that without looking at the historical context, you just think, oh, what a happy clappy, right? Like, you know what I mean? But... Literally, he bled and was in jail and tortured for this church. But in his epistle, he doesn't even mention it. Because his purpose was so much greater than the pain that he went through. And there's a question that we need to answer is, do we believe that God had his way? His perfect will in Paul's ordeal. Or do you think God was sidestruck by the angry mob that he wasn't expecting it and it no, God knew exactly what was happening. Now, if you're here today, last week, I said, the, the, the take-home, the conclusion was that if everything is going well for you, praise God. Now, that's not the case for many of us. For a lot of us, things are not going very well. But the take-home for us was praise God. He's working through us. He's having his way. And just before I read on here, I wonder if some of you left last week thinking, well, that's, that's, that's great sentiment, Gareth, but how do you actually do that? Like, how do you, how does that work? Because right now, I'm so deep in the woods, I don't know how I'm going to find my way out. Right? Paul had some major issues that were outside of his control. And this passage is only one instance that he got himself into, right? He found himself in all sorts of situations all the time, beaten. They, tried, they threw him off the edge of a, the, literally the, the edge of town, and they, they stoned him. And when they say they stoned him, they, they literally throw you off into the rubbish dump and throw balls, rocks the size of basketballs on you until you die. And they thought he was dead, left him. And Paul's response was he gets up and goes back into town and keeps preaching. Paul was like gloriously stubborn. Love the guy, right? And this is one instance, right? So we set the scene. He and Silas are locked up, beaten, bloodied, naked, in a jail. Verse 25. See how quick that was? You're awesome, Javon. Just waiting there. <laughs> Verse 25 in the New King James. 
But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. It starts by pointing out that it's midnight, midnight, the darkest part of the night. Paul's falsely accused, he's trapped, he can't move, he's in constant pain. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe not in jail, but in situations in life, things going on, like, you know, your situation might not be as um, dire as Paul's, but have you ever felt trapped by your circumstance, unjustly, unfair? Do you have ailments in your body? Are you in pain? You can't fix it yourself. You can't see a way out. That word midnight in the Greek is mesokotoni. It's interesting, this word, because it's not the midnight on the clock. It's actually, it denotes midnight, but it actually denotes a watch. Like for in, a, in, a, in a security sense, like a military, like the first watch, second watch, third watch. It actually means like literally the midnight shift. So Luke's chose that word as opposed to just 12 p.m., uh, 12 a.m., sorry. And what were they doing? Praying and singing hymns to God. Praying is the prosupkome. Is that right, Chris? Is that? No, thanks, mate. It literally means to pray and to supplicate. So they're talking to God. Now, if I was in this situation, through the broken teeth and blood in your mouth, I would probably be praying, God, drill them all. Just go full Old Testament. I'd be like trying to remember the Psalms, like smash the teeth in God, like mine, right? That's where I'd be, right? But then it says he was singing, singing. That's probably terrible. Hey, sorry, guys. They were singing. The word there is amneo. Amneo is a hymn to celebrate. He's celebrating. He's praying and singing to God. But he's actually, the, he's an amneo. He's, it's a celebration song that he's singing. He's worshipping. He's worshipping God in the midst of that whole, right? And, you know, for us, worship, like as Pentecostals, we often think of worship as a style of music, don't we? Or maybe an, an event, maybe something you can go to or something you can do. But, but worship, yes, that's part of worship and they are worship, but worship is so much bigger than that, so much broader than that. Worship is like everything in your life submitted to God for His glory. That's what worship is. Right? And it, but as the result of sin, our devotion goes to other things. Now, that's a whole sermon in itself, but we're just going to go straight past that. And I want to focus on that one aspect of, of worship, which is the, the singing. All right? Now, I remember when I got saved, ready for this, October the 3rd, 2003. Right? I started going down to my church at the time, which was quite a large church. And when I first went in the doors, they were all singing and, and they were clapping and it was like grown men crying. And then they had this like Christian karaoke thing going on. And I was like, where's the ball? I don't know these songs. And I'm watching, it's like, like, what's the point of putting the word? And like, I was trying to sing along to it. And it was for me, it wasn't a cultural thing for me. It was just plain weird. All right. And I purposely, I, I knew the word of God. Like I, I wanted to 
I, I knew that the, the, the word was the word of God. I just wanted to hear God speak through his word. So I used to purposely come late to church just to miss all the weird stuff. And then when they start preaching, I was like, just soaking it in. Oh, it was so good. But it wasn't until one day I just turned up early and they started singing this song. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. I'm, I'm shocking at singing. Excuse me. And, and I remember listening to the words. Praise him. I'm like, yeah, we should praise him, praise him. Yeah, he deserves to be praised. And I started going, praise him. And I started putting my hand up, praise. And seriously, I felt God in that room when I started saying, praise him. And I was, like, and I was lifting my heart to him. I'm praising God. I could feel him in that room, right? Because there's a, there's a principle here I just want to unpack for a second, right? This is leading somewhere, so just work with me, Okay. Your words have power. Your words have power. Your words are your primary means of communication. Okay? Now, how did God create the world? He spoke, right? And we're made in his image, right? Hebrews 11 says, By faith we understand that the words, the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made by things which are visible. We're created in God's image, and when we speak, we create the reality around us, all right? Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Now, James, the book of James, Jesus' brother, warns us in the third chapter that, that there's danger associated to how we use our tongue. He likens it to like the, the bit in the horse's mouth, how you can steer. It steers your, your life, and like a little rudder on the back of a boat can like the back of a ship, can steer an entire ship. That's what our tongue is, right? And, and what our tongue speaks out, it comes from our heart. Because Jesus himself says, a good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's Luke 6.45. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, you know, you, everyone's got that friend that walks around and can't get through a, a single sentence without dropping the F-bomb. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why we don't speak like that. That's not our language. It's like the F-bomb's like the demonic hashtag. No, sorry. So, verse, and then there's Solomon, wisest man ever, warns us in Proverbs chapter 4, 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of, the sp out of its spring the issues of life. Do you see where I'm going with this, right? You get your heart set on God, and that causes you to speak out his word, his praises. You just can't help yourself, right? And this is where it says in Psalm 23, this is actually David speaking, says, but you are wholly enthroned in your praises. So when we speak out his word in song and sing and praise to him, God dwells in the praises of his people. It also says that he encamps in the praises of Judah. And there is a, an, a picture in the Old Testament where when the nation of Israel went to war, the, the, na the, the tribe that would always lead in was Judah. And Judah means praise. All right? Because worship is a, is a spiritual weapon. All right? And that's why in our services, we have our praise and our worship to start with. Right? Because we're at war. We have an enemy. We have a spiritual enemy and we're living in a fallen world where mankind's taken God off the throne, put himself on the throne, and when we come together, we start our service by worshipping him 
to set that throne right back where it's meant to be, where God's rightful place is. And that's why we praise and we worship at the beginning of the service, because we want to declare that this is God's house, we are God's people, and He dwells in the praises of His people. Now, when you come to church, keep in mind the worship is the only thing that we actually do for God. It's the only thing in our service that is for God. Everything else that happens here is for us. Even the giving, that is for us. God doesn't need our giving. He's not short a few bob. He's, he comes from where the heavens got streets of gold. He's, he's good. He's good to go. He's got cattle on a thousand hills. He's fine. But he allows us, he lets us take part in what he's doing. Right? When we give to God, we're aligning our own lives into his grace lane, his divine provision. We align our life with what he's doing. He doesn't need us. He lets us be part of it. Right? So, the only thing in church that is actually God's is the worship. So in the beginning when I was being a bit rude to God and turning up late, it wasn't until I got that revelation, I can't miss, don't miss worship, man. Don't miss worship. Don't be walking around the back playing with your phone. This is, that's God's time. That's his. What does it say to him if we um, up the back saying, oh, yeah, this, I don't like that song, so hold on. Right? Think about what that's saying to God. All right? Now, I've got to hurry. Okay, the prisoners... They were singing praises, right, in that situation. And the prisoners were listening to them. Just picture this for a second. You are faithful. You are faithful. At midnight. Hey, mate, shut up. We're trying to sleep over here. It would be the natural response, wouldn't it? Shut up. But that wasn't their reaction. They were actually listening. I reckon they were in their own situation beaten up, bruised and messed up and they're looking like, hey Bob, I reckon he's on crack. Don't go near him. Like, they're watching because something's confusing them. They're not sure what's going on. Truth is, people are watching us and how we worship. You know, it's when you worship God in the hard times that gets people's attention. It's easy to worship God when everything's going well, isn't it? It's, it's easy to worship God, you know, when you turn up to church in a Porsche, all right? It's easy to worship God when everything's smooth and creamy. But when it literally hits the fan, you lose your job, your health fails, that's when it's hard to praise God. Verse 26. Until you're done. All right, I can't, wait. I just didn't picture these guys, bloodied mouths, closed up eyes. You are faithful. And they're worshipping. Because remember, he dwells in the praises of his people. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake. The ground started moving, right? So that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loose. Can you picture that? Like just the whole wall starts shaking in and, and they're just sitting there singing some slow songs and suddenly the whole foundation is shaking and then everybody there, their cuffs just fell off. They aligned themselves with God through their prayer and singing and now God is going to move. And I love how God moves differently in different situations. Remember back in Acts chapter 12, Peter was in jail, but he actually sends the ninja angel to break him out stealth, right? You know what I'm saying? But this particular instance, he decides just to trash the whole place, right? 
Ninja. You go. That's right, I got this one. <laughs> All right. The foundations of the prison were shaken. Everything that was holding them back was broken off. The doors were opened up. You might be caught in a situation. You can't do anything. But when you praise God in that situation, he dwells in that situation. He can shake the foundations. He can throw open doors for you. Everyone's chains fell off. Not just Paul and Silas. Everybody. The thief, the murderer. I was going to say something. No. All of theirs chains fell off as well. Verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. So suddenly the jailer's in bed. He's going, oh, what's, what's happening? He's like, oh, no, the prisoners. And he puts belts up runs out there, he sees all the doors open, he's like, let's stop here for a moment. This jailer, in the Roman system, if you were responsible for a criminal or somebody that was under arrest, it was called a charge, and they were given in your, when they were in your custody, depending on what your role was, if they were in your custody, you were responsible for them. If they got away, you paid for it with your life. They would they would execute you as an example to everybody else that you hold on to these prisoners because we're not putting up with any sort of dissent. And when he saw the whole prison had opened up, he's just like, what's he going to do? Going to chase all of them? Hold all of them got away. The jailer was responsible for the particular, in this particular, all of the prisoners in this particular jail and when the doors were open, his first thought was, they're gone. He knew what was required of him. He was going to be executed. He felt that there was no way out. So instead of waiting around for the public shaming, the public execution, he just thought, you know what? I'm going to end it here. I thought God put this on my heart, and if I don't unpack it well, forgive me, right? Has anyone ever felt like that? I can't get, I'm done. I can't, I can't, this is, I, don't, I can't fix this. This is, there's no hope for me now. The only way out is to end it. In Australia today, suicide remains the leading, leading cause of death for all Australians aged 15 to 45. There's an average of eight deaths by suicide in Australia, ready for this, every day. Eight. And for every death by suicide, it's estimated that there is as many as 30 people who attempt to take their life. That's according to the Lifeline website. So 30 people every day attempt to take their life. Are you ready for this? That is 65,300 people, precious lives before God, who see no other way out but to take their own life. That's a travesty. Verse 28, please. But Paul called out in a loud loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, 
but we are all here. Do yourself no harm. Paul was like, he saw the sword come out of the sleeve, and Paul's like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. No, no, don't do yourself any harm. We're, we're all here. We're all here. It's all right. Put it down. Paul stepped in and said, do yourself no harm. Paul was the carrier of God's word, right? It's not him. He, he is the, the messenger of Jesus, right? Now, I'm not a trained counselor. I'm, not, I'm no way professionally recognized to, to, to counsel you if, you if you need that kind of support. But what I am is I'm a pastor, okay? And it's my job to tell you the truth of God's word, all right? And I tell you that it says in his word that before he formed you in your mother's womb, he knew you, all right? If you're feeling like this, you need to know that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And it says in the word that God knows the thoughts that he has towards you says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. If you're feeling there's no way out, other way out, the word says that God has, he made you with purpose. He has a plan for your life. You see, suicide is never the answer. It doesn't fix any problems. It only takes away any hope of anything ever getting better. And Paul says, do yourself no harm. For we are all here. We are all here. We're here, we're here, we're here. We're here for you, for the jailer. We here, as carriers of God's word, we are here for you. Okay, if you feel like this, okay, we are here for you. We, we, if we can't help, we will get you the help, the professional help. We are here for you. Right? Paul was the jailer's charge, right? Paul and Silas were only two of the prisoners in that prison. But you see, it says, it says, we are all here. There was a prison full of prisoners. There was heaps of them. And Paul and Silas stuck around. Like, I mean, honestly, honestly, if I was praying to God, singing to God, and the door swung open, and my chains were, I'm gone. I mean, I'm hopping, I'm out the window, and I'm giving you a reverse bullet out the other way. Okay? I'm gone. That's what I would have done. Paul and Silas decide to stick around. But not only that, it says we're all here. The other prisoners whose chains fell off saw the doors open. They decided to stick around as well. Like, they didn't run either. Paul and Silas didn't bail when it got tough. They didn't run away from the unfair, the unjust situation they found themselves in. What are these guys thinking? Dude, get, get your undies. Run, dude, man. Like, because he's naked on the floor. Like, get out of there, right? See, sometimes when you run from a situation, you're like, this is not right, not fair. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. When you bail, you actually take away the opportunity for God to move miraculously. And what was it about Paul and Silas? You see... Their purpose, which was to see that region saved, for them was bigger, more important than any pain they were experiencing. So they stayed. Like, nah, we're not finished. We're staying. And the other prisoners who were listening to Paul and Silas sing praises to God. They were like, what is it about these dudes? What do they know that we don't? How can you possibly praise God in this little hole? 
in this situation. And they were fascinated. They were confused. But then when they saw the, earth, they, they saw the building shake and the earthquake come, they were like, okay, they saw God's breakthrough. They saw God work through their life. And you know what? They had the opportunity to run too, but they're like, no, 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 no. I'm sticking around with these guys. I want to see what happens now. I'm going to follow them. And I believe a lot of these guys ended up in Lydia's church. I believe a lot of them, because they, they didn't run either. Because they didn't run from their circumstance, look what happened over the next few verses, right? Do yourself no harm. Look, look, it's, don't, it's fine. We're all here, we're all here. We're all here, mate. It's good, it's good. Verse 29, please. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul. This is the jailer. Verse 30. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, like, remember these guys were his prisoners a second ago, and now he calls them sirs. Should have done a Greek study there, it would have been interesting, but I missed that one. What must I do to be saved? He's looking at what just happened, and he's probably spinning out as well, like this doesn't make any sense. What must I do to be saved? Just note, he's not asking like, you know, how do I be a better person? How do I get saved? It's the greatest question anyone can ever ask. But to be honest, today, I don't hear anyone asking that question. I haven't heard anyone, I mean, I don't know if you have, but I haven't heard anyone say that in ages. Have you? Anyone? Has anyone, have you ever heard anyone say that? I never heard that before. The reason is because the world doesn't believe in sin anymore. We've lost all concept of sin. In fact, we've, all, we've lost all concept of truth. Truth is now subjective. It's like the whole definition of postmodernism is you just make up your own truth. It's like the world's gone nuts. And if the world does not believe that there is, is truth in sin, then they don't see their need for salvation. And you see, the Bible teaches us that sin is mankind's greatest problem. The question, this, this question that the jailer imply, uh, asks, it implies that there are two groups of people, the saved and the unsaved. Not the churchgoer and the stay-at-home, not the, you know, it's the saved and the unsaved. Now, Paul answers his question in the next verse, verse 31. He says, so they said, Paul or Silas, they Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Is that it? Yeah. That's it. Notice Paul doesn't go, well, let me give you my card and you can come along to our church at Lydia's house and um, we can set you up with a monthly direct debit plan and you can put that, we'll put you on the mailing list and... Um, you know, we can put you into our new, new, new person's program and in three months you'll be ready for stage two and we can, we can work on this. And he doesn't do, doesn't do that, does he? No, no, no. No, no. Points him straight to Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Now, this one here is interesting. You and your household. Because I've read a few commentaries about people who have tried to deduct the doctrine out of that saying that, well, you know, if you get saved, then your family is kind of covered by your sanctification. That's not backed up with other scriptures, right? It, maybe Paul had heard something. Maybe Paul's speaking directly to him. I personally think Paul's actually speaking prophetically to this, this, this uh, jailer. That's what I believe. 
I don't believe you can pull any doctrine from that because we're all responsible for our, our own state of heart. But I believe Paul is speaking prophetically to him. Because if you move on to verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And they took then the same hour that night, washed their stripes, and immediately he, was, he and all his family were baptized. Paul prophesied it. He went back to his place. This guy's obviously got the gift of hospitality. He's um, washed up his wounds. He's strapped him up. He's cleaned him up. They've fed him. They brought him in. Verse 34 says, Now when they had brought them into the house, he set the food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Not long ago, this guy was going to take his own life. And now he's got these guys at his house, having a dinner party with him, praising God. His whole family has just gotten saved. Can you imagine what the jailer's bosses in the local government would be like, what's going on here? How would he go and explain? I'm interested to know what actually happened to this jailer, where he ended up, what happened there, because that, how does he explain that to the boss? <laughs> right? But this is, this is the question, right? When we find ourselves in these situations, do you really believe that as God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Do you really believe that? Is everybody here today confident they've got the answer to the jailer's question? I'm going to ask you quite frankly, are you saved today? If everyone would stand, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because he came down to earth, lived a sinless life and took the sin of mankind onto the cross was executed in our place as the punishment for our sins. Because he had no sin of his own, he took yours, mine, everybody of all history, every generation, every family lineage, every country, every person on this planet ever, and who will be in the future before he returns, he took all their sin onto his body on the cross and took our punishment. And that's how when we die and we stand before God's throne and are required to give an account for every idle word we've ever said, if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and accept His free gift of salvation, the punishment for all of that has already been paid. The price of that's been paid. The redemption price has been paid. And then God declares us not guilty. Not because of anything we've ever done, but because of everything He did on the cross through Jesus Christ. How do you receive that? Through faith. You can't earn it. You can't pay him back. Don't for a think, think for a second you deserve it. God is giving it to you as a gift. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is anybody here who has not made that decision, I want to invite you today to walk out of here with joy in your heart like the Philippian jailer, knowing that you are saved. You are saved for all eternity because you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. With all eyes closed, praying. If that's you, right where you're at today, I would love to pray with you. Seal that decision in your heart. If that's you today, and you know whether you have made that decision or not, I want you to raise your hand right now, right where you're at. It would be my 
honor and joy to pray with you. If that's you, I want you to leave today with that peace in your heart knowing that you are saved. Thank you. I'm going to pray with you after. Praise God. Also, if you're here today and you feel like you're locked in a circumstance and you can't see any way out, the same power, the same Holy Spirit that worked in Paul and Silas' life is here today in this room and wants to dwell in your heart and work through your life. I'm going to bring this to a close, but if that's you, I would love to pray with you as well. So let's just pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for those who have given their heart to you today. I pray you bless them, seal it in their heart, Lord God, and thank you that they and their household will be saved as well. And Lord, if there is anyone here today who is struggling in their situation, feels trapped by circumstances they can't do anything about, if that's you, Lord, I pray you bless them. I pray, Father God, you reveal yourself to them, the great power and might, Lord God, to work through their life, shake the foundations of everything holding them back, and I thank you, Lord, that your word says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And I pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Fantastic. Come on, we'll give a huge hand. And you may be seated. What a great word of encouragement. Amen. And... Uh, I concur with Gareth. You're in despair. You can't actually worship your way out of it. You really can. You know, last year for me, I spent, I flicked around my quiet time, whatever you call it, time with God to include just more worship and prayer. And I can actually tell you, there is so much power to it. Those boys opening their mouths and singing. The earthquake came in, coming and all the chains being, for everyone around them, the chains were broken. Isn't that awesome? For some of you, I believe the word is, you need, to, you need to bring praise and worship into your home. You want some chains broken in your house? Amen? You could be that Paul and Silas in your house. Maybe there's prisoners, maybe family members, people around you. Bring worship, bring praise into your house. It carries God's presence. Amen. It breaks chains. I'm going to share around our giving this morning. Who likes to give? I think Gareth threw a really, really done a giving message inside his message, but let me just read the scripture as well. As soon as I get to it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You are of God. Who's of God? Raise your hand, give me a wave. Fantastic. Little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Verse 5. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. Who's ever tried to explain their giving or tithing to someone who's completely unsaved? Raise your hand if you've tried to explain that you give a tenth of your wage and you give this amount of money 
to, to the church per se. Um, I certainly have, and someone just looks at me cross-eyed. I say, what? What? What do you mean, 10%? You mean once a year? And I said, no, 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 no. Actually, more than that. Every, every time I get paid. And they just look at you sideways. Why? Why would you do that? The world will never understand what we do. True? Never get their heads around because we are of God. And what, what Gareth said, the reason why God, God puts in our hearts to give to him is because he is releasing his presence and his promises over our lives. The world will never understand. And we've all seen the, the uh, I think it's either one of those investigation shows tonight or whatever you call them. I don't know what you call them. They go into a church and they, and they video the buckets going around and they're like, look, everyone's getting um, brainwashed or mesmerized into, into giving. The reality is the world will never understand why we do what we do for God. They just won't. In those verses prior to that passage I'm reading, it talks about the Antichrist and the Antichrist spirit is the world spirit and it literally just means those things that are opposed to Christ. If you love Christ, we live by the way he calls us to. Amen? And when it comes to giving, it comes to you as little children, as, as us being God's children. We put all our heart, we put all our resources, we put all our lives into the hands of what God calls us to do, not what the world tells us to do. Amen? And it will be counterculture. But I pray that you do in your own lives. You release God's, God's intent over your life in every area of your life. Don't just release it in your Sundays, but release it in your Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays. Release it in your finances. Release it in the way you speak. Release it in every aspect of your life. Amen? And that's what we do by what we give. We just open up our whole financial world and we say, you know what, God? I want your faith I want to do it your way, and I need you in this aspect and area of my life. Amen? Who has a job? Raise your hand. Who works five days a week? Keep your hand raised. Amen? Most of us work for finance, a huge portion of our lives. Let's put it in God's hands. Amen? So right now we're going to pray. If you're here with your partner, why don't you hold hands and we just pray for God's blessing to be released right across our lives as he does. God, I thank you for every single person in this room. God, I thank you that we love you and love your ways. We understand that we are in this world, but not of it. You call us your children. And God, I pray for every person as we faithfully honor you with our finances by giving to you, God. God, that you would bless us to be a greater blessing. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Thank you, ushers. While we're doing that, why don't we just have a quick look at the screens and find out what's happening in the life of the church.
Fantastic. A lot coming up in the life of the church. Vision Sunday, first Sunday in February. You're going to hear some vision about the church. Make sure you are here. And then we've got our anointing service. We love that. It's an opportunity for us just to literally, we do it different. We pray and anoint every single person that's in the church with oil. We pray just believing to have words over your 2020. Amen? And then Life Group Sunday coming up. we find more about that. And Leadership Program starts on the 25th. And just to let you know, we're actually taking uh, a new intake. We're doing this. Uh, we're taking new people into the program. And uh, it'll finish up. And they'll go all the way to this time next year. Uh, for those that started in July, you've got another six months. So be a part of that. It's been a great success, a great opportunity. And the Leadership Program is about you. Amen. It's about really developing you to be all that God wants you to be. So make sure you put your, yourself in that, get some information on that. We'll have some flyers ready for you. And the last announcement is next Sunday is Aussie Day, Australia Day. Who loves to be Australian? Well, okay. You're excited. Who loves to be Australian? That's it. Well, who loves to be Brazilian? Uh, look at them straight away. Yeah, we're just too laid back here. And I was like, you if I said that, I'd, there's only three or four of them in the room and they were louder. Who loves to be New Zealand? From New Zealand. <laughs> Who loves to be Australian? Oh, we got there. Awesome. So next week it's a one-hour service and then will you actually, if you want to, I think what time is it, 6 p.m.? 6 p.m. at my house, 13 Lorna Avenue, Blakers. Write it down. You write it. We can't. We have a barbecue, hang out, bring your, bring your kids. And then we go to Cars Park for some festivities, Australia Day, and possibly fireworks if they don't cancel it because they tend to be doing that a bit at the moment. So it'll be a great opportunity to get to know me, but we'll let you know next Sunday. Why don't we stand to our feet? Who's ready to praise God before we leave this place? Let's take the opportunity. Break some chains over our lives. Bring God as a focus. Come on, let's do it. Take it away, Aaron. Amen, amen. We'll have a great week, church. 
Shout your praise for 